Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to uh, do a study on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to do a topical study and look into the Bible concerning its statements and the the deity of Christ. That is that his Godhead, his his divine person. And uh, I think this is um, a good thing for us to do oftentimes because so many uh, attempt to attack the Word of God, attack the Bible and and the true teaching of the Bible by disputing this point. And uh, from other religions uh, like the Muslim religion or uh, sects within Christianity, there is an, a common and uh, often attack against the deity of the Lord Jesus, that is, they say that he is less than God. He, he is something less than God and, uh, or, or they just have a, a complete misunderstanding of his true nature. And, and so we're going to, uh, look into the Bible. Now, there are many verses that we're familiar with that show that uh, Jesus is God, and I'll just read a handful of them before we start, but uh, primarily we're going to look at what the Bible has to say regarding uh, God the Savior and God the Creator, and we'll see how those things apply to Christ, but just to um, sort of lay lay the groundwork. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is really um it it it's taking the hebrew and a couple of hebrew words and and turning it into a name it means god with us literally that's what emmanuel means and we have god's own definition in matthew chapter 1 he's quoting from isaiah at the time Jesus is born, Matthew 1, verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
God provides the interpretation. And, and so we know that's a, a very trustworthy interpretation. It's perfectly trustworthy. God with us. And, and so God introduces through the prophet Isaiah a prophecy that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and his name will be God with us. Now, uh, of course, it's impossible for a virgin to conceive. Yet in the New Testament account, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary and the child was conceived and and born of the virgin. And of course, that that is not a normal birth in any way. And it, yet it is a birth fitting for God. And, and right away with the name Emmanuel, God is um, revealing who the child will be. He will be God with us, God with men. In Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6, the Lord goes on to give more information. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And that would refer back to the statement in Isaiah 7.14 concerning a son that that will uh, be born of the virgin. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And now by itself, uh, well, it, it would, this verse is just incredible and, and yet it doesn't stand by itself. We, we see that it has the support of Isaiah 7 verse 14 that yes, what it appears to be saying, it is saying a child will be born and he'll be a son. So he'll be a male child and this child's name, we were told a couple of chapters earlier, is Emmanuel, God with us. And now we're told in Isaiah 9, verse 6, that he, he's given many names, one of which, well, more than one, but one um, is really uh, standing out, the mighty God, the mighty God. And, and we won't even get into the everlasting father. But again, he's called God. The son, the child is called the mighty God. And you see, this is how we come to the Bible. We don't know anything that someone just hearing of the Bible or in the days when God was bringing the Bible to a person's ears. They don't know anything and yet they read the Bible. And God begins to open up information, and now he's revealing information about this son. And we know the son, born of the virgin, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the the son born of the virgin Mary, God says this in John 1, verse 1. 
in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Okay, so maybe there's, um, maybe Christ has the name of Word and, and He is, as they say, some sort of high angelic being or He, He is some kind of power, but, but not God, less than God. He's with God. Well, if it stopped there, people could make that claim, but God didn't stop there. The verse doesn't stop there. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, not um, anything less than God. The Word was God himself, and, and, and so right away, you know, God doesn't sort of slip this in the Gospel of John at, at some later point. But right away, in the very beginning of the gospel, what does God want the reader to know? And and God moved the Apostle John to write this, and therefore it's coming forth from the mouth of God. It is certainly uh, showing God's will, what his purpose is. What does God want the reader of the gospel of John to know? The first item of business is that what you are going to read about concerning this mysterious person named Jesus. And it is Jesus. There's no doubt about it that is called the word because a little further down in verse 14 of the same chapter, John chapter 1, it says, and the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There, the word is clearly defined as being made flesh and dwelling among us. And, and the context is, uh, it cannot be mistaken that it is speaking of Jesus. And when we Put together Isaiah's statements. Isaiah, who says that a virgin conceives and God with us will be the child's name. And then a child is given, a son is given, and his name will be the mighty God. And here we have the Lord Jesus entering into the world or being spoken of by John. And right away, the statement is made, he is the word, and the word was God. It is unmistakable. It's crystal clear. There's no doubt of any kind in any way what God is saying through two prophets now. It, and it's, it's not as some would say, well, the apostle Paul, um, he, he had this idea of the deity of Christ. Well, the apostle Paul, isn't even in view. It's Isaiah, written about 700 years before the Gospel of John, and now 
it's the Apostle John writing in the first century AD and writing the very same thing, the very same truth. And in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews chapter 1, and um, the book of Hebrews is thought to be written by Paul. And it probably was, but uh, we, we don't know absolutely, and it's not important. But what is important is that the book of Hebrews agrees with Isaiah and agrees with John. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, I'll start reading here in verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. God's, uh, unto the Son, excuse me, it said, Thy throne, O God. That is the statement, and this is a quote from Psalm 45. It, the, the statement is addressed to the Son, and it is identifying Him as God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And that would agree with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And here, God is said to have a father. Well, back in Hebrews 1, it said, thy, uh, to the Son, Thy throne, O God. So the Son's called God. So yes, God the Son has God the Father. And it is the mystery of the Godhead as God reveals himself in the Bible as one holy divine God. There, There's not more than one. There's not a thousand. There's not two or three gods, there's one God, O Israel. And yet, at the same time, the Bible reveals and the Bible insists that this this one God is three persons. We just saw God the Son, which means there's God the Father. You, you can't have a father of God and and him be less than God. So the Bible would uh, declare God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We we learn as we read further that there are three persons of the Godhead, and God makes that clear in First John five and verse seven. It says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, 
the Father, the Word, which we saw back in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Word was made flesh, so that's the Lord Jesus, the Son, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. There God spells out, he, he lays out the Godhead. And it, it is a mystery. It is above us and beyond us. How God can be three persons, yet one God, yet that is the fact. That is the truth. That is what the Bible teaches. Now concerning this uh, glorious being uh, of God, we read that God uh, declares that he is the Savior. In um, Isaiah chapter 49, in Isaiah 49 and verse 26, it says, And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I, Jehovah, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Here, the the word Lord in, uh, I, I didn't pronounce it as Lord, I pronounced it as Jehovah. And the reason I didn't pronounce it as Lord, in the King James Bible, when we come across um, the word Lord or God in all capital letters, they're letting us know that they've translated it that way because it's the name Jehovah. And, and so I... Uh, translate whenever I see that I, I say Jehovah and and Jehovah is the name of God especially in his role as savior and and here that's what is in view know that I Jehovah am thy savior and thy redeemer the mighty one of Jacob and and so Jehovah says he is Savior. Now, earlier in Isaiah, in chapter 43, God also said this, beginning in Isaiah 43, verse 11, I, even I, am Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you, Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. and There is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Well, here God is, is making an exclusive claim. In verse 11, I, even I, am Jehovah. That is, he is God. He alone is God. And along with being God alone, the Lord says, and beside me there is no Savior. There is no Savior beside me. That is, in addition to me. Or me and someone else or something else there 
There is no savior. It's a, it's a very clear statement. It's very definite. It's unmistakable what God is saying. He is saying that he Jehovah, he Jehovah, not, um, any other God, but the God of the Bible is who Jehovah is. We find the name Jehovah throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. It's used hundreds of times. I, Jehovah, I, Jehovah, beside me there is no Savior. And one other thing that we always need to keep in mind is that God says of himself that he is a jealous God. He He is a, a jealous God. The Lord uh, tells us that. In the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, it says in verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am Jehovah thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am Jehovah. And then God says that he brought Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. And that's a picture of salvation. And so God is really uh, framing the Ten Commandments in the context of his, his saving work, that he has wrought salvation for Israel. And uh, as a result, he issues these commandments. Verse 3. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, Jehovah thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. God is Jehovah, who is the deliverer, the savior of Israel from Egypt. Therefore, you will have no other gods and will not make them nor bow down to them because Jehovah thy God is a jealous God. Jehovah Savior is jealous of his role as Savior. It, 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 it's really couched in those terms. God, when he says he's a jealous God and, and you will have no other gods, really is saying those things in the, the uh, framework of his saving of Israel. And we can see how God relates his role or, or his work as savior to his deity in the book of Hosea. In Hosea chapter 13, it says in verse four, yet I am Jehovah thy God. From the land of Egypt, again, God is reminding the Jews, Israel, and also reminding spiritual Israel, his elect, 
that he is Jehovah, the, the God who delivered them from Egypt. I am Jehovah thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me. And that is a fast restating of the command within the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods, nor bow down to them. Uh, I am a jealous God. Thou shalt know no God but me. Now look at the last part of Hosea 13, verse 4. For there is no Savior beside me. You see, if if there is another Savior, that means there is another God. And God is saying that's not so. That's an impossibility. There is one God, one Savior, and they are one and the same. They, they are the very same being. God alone. I, I, even I, Jehovah, am Savior. Beside me, there is no other. And if there were, then he should be bowed down to. And he would be God. But I assure you, God is is telling us that there is no other God and no other Savior. As it says here, Thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Now I'm emphasizing this because God is, first of all, but also to show that that God's jealousy, the, the point where he would be most jealous is in relationship to his role as savior. He, he reserves that for himself exclusively. He, he will not share his glory with another when it comes to the fact that he alone is savior and and God's the one using these words, saying, beside me, there is no Savior, there is no other, only God, only God. And that, that, that is stressed and emphasized and highlighted and underlined, however you want to put it, where God is insisting He only is Savior. And there, there might be someone listening and saying, all right, all right, I get the point. So what? Well, it, it's very significant and it's very important because you don't have to read the New Testament very long at all or very far into it before you read all kinds of statements regarding the Lord Jesus Christ that would, would just stand out uh, in in the face of the things we just read in the Old Testament. Yes, the things in Isaiah about the Son, but also concerning God's role as only Savior. In Luke chapter 2, this is describing the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says in Luke 2 verse 8, 
And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And th- this verse just, uh, it, it sort of, uh, it, it's it's like the ringing of the bells. It it almost shines. It it glows with information that makes connections to the Old Testament scriptures concerning the child that is born. Remember, uh, for unto you a son is given, and his name will be the mighty God. A virgin will conceive and. Call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And, and also God here tells us something that is astonishing. It's nothing short of astonishing. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The, this is what the angel brought good tidings of great joy to all people. And you can imagine the, the, the Jews when they would have heard that. A Savior, a Savior is born. Well, of course they would have been familiar with Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, even I, am Jehovah. And beside me there is no Savior. Well, lo and behold, in Luke 2 verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Jehovah. No, God didn't say that in Luke 2.11. Actually, he did, but he didn't use the words directly or that name directly. It, it is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord is the Savior, which means that Christ the Lord is Jehovah. Well, or, or some imposter, but it wasn't, it wasn't men that were making this claim of Him that He is Savior. It was angels from heaven. It was God Himself sending angels who are His messengers and in this case they were angelic beings they they were spirit beings coming to make this proclamation this glorious declaration the savior is born it was god sounding the trumpet god indicating that the long standing promise of millennium of thousands of years since the very beginning had come to fruition and God himself now entered into the human race. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was made flesh. And here is 
God in the flesh. As it says in 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and this is actually an outstanding verse to show forth the deity of Christ and um, I, I probably don't refer to it enough in 1st Timothy 3:16 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory god was manifest in the flesh that is revealed in the flesh and 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 that matches you see how all these verses come together and and they all agree there's tremendous harmony, tremendous cohesiveness concerning the the teaching of the Bible that Jesus is God. In Acts chapter 5, in Acts 5, beginning in verse 29, it says there, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Him God has exalted to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is the work of the Savior, the work of Jehovah, the, the work of Christ. In Jude, in Jude, the little epistle before the book of Revelation, and unless we thought that somehow the New Testament was teaching something different than the Old Testament, and was not in agreement with the Old Testament statement that only God is Savior, well, it, it's repeated in Jude 25. Jude is one chapter, so it's verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The word only means alone to the, the alone wise God, our Savior, the only God and Savior. There is one God. Beside me, there is no other one Savior that is Jehovah. And here, it's the same in the New Testament. There's only one wise God, and He is Savior. Only God is Savior. Well, that that's what it says there. Only God is Savior. And that's what it said in Isaiah. And in Titus, God goes out of his way. He, he really, uh, if you had to go to a book of the Bible to show that God was Savior, Titus would be a good book. And if you had to go to a book of the Bible will show that Christ was Savior. Titus 
would be the book to go to. Because Titus is a three-chapter book, and in each one of the three chapters, there is a statement made that God is Savior. In in Titus chapter 1, it says in verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Again, that's in agreement with Isaiah 43.11 and the whole Bible. God is Savior. As Hosea 13.4 said, there's no other Savior and no other God because God must be Savior in order to save uh, a people for himself, to save his people from their sins. It required the mighty power of God. Only God could have died and made payment for multitude of sins of multitudes of people and successfully paid the law's demand of death and, and risen again to bring justification. There's no other possibility. The Savior had to be God and only God. And the Bible tells us that here in Titus 1 also in Titus Chapter 2, it says in verse 10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, fidelity is the word faith, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And then in Titus 3, in verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Three times and one time in each of the chapters, God is Savior. And and so does Titus have it right? Does he have it right? And Jude have it right to the only wise God, our Savior. And are these statements about the child that was born into the city of David being Savior, are they incorrect? No. No, because in the same book of Titus, and God moved the Apostle Paul to write Titus, in this same book, in the same context, in each of those three places, as it said in Titus 1 verse 3, God our Savior, the very next verse, verse 4, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, mention God our Savior. And then in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now there, it's combined and and the God and our Savior Jesus Christ is referring to Christ. But of course some read that and, and they would separate the two. The great God over here and our Savior over there, Jesus Christ. But it, no, no, it's another statement from God 
another statement of the Bible, that the God and Savior is Jesus Christ. You, you, it, as a matter of fact, Jesus Christ could not be Savior unless he was God. In Titus chapter 3, we saw in verse 4, the love of God our Savior toward man. And then in verse 6 of Titus 3, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Again and again and again, indicating God's purpose. Three times, two series of threes, the purpose of God that this be declared, that Christ be honored and glorified as God and Savior. You cannot separate the two. And, and Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God. Jesus only is Savior. There is no other. Beside me, there is no other God. We, we can see why, why it is that God stressed in the epistle of First John concerning those that confess that Christ came in the flesh. In First John 4, in verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Well, of course you have all kinds of people that would admit that. Yes, there was a man, a historical man named Jesus, and he was born in the flesh. And yet that's not God's point. The point of of saying that Christ, Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh is to say what 1 Timothy 3.16 said, God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ in the flesh means Jehovah in the flesh. It means God the Savior in the flesh. And, and that is the point that God is requiring men to confess. And, and there's also men that can confess that, uh, with their mouths. And, and that isn't what God has in view either. But it's a confession of the heart. It's a confession of a life. And, and God gives that confession to his people to confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. The Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. That's the confession. And then in verse 3 of 1 John 4, In every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And again, it it doesn't mean people refusing to confess that there was a historical figure named Jesus, even though that also would be a denial of him. But when religions, when gospels, when individuals, when they deny the deity, the divine person, the glorious 
Godhead of the Bible and the the true God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are denying Christ came in the flesh. They're denying that God so humbled himself and emptied himself of his glory and entered into the world to become man. That that is the confession that God is looking at there. Now, um, I had wanted to go into uh, some other aspects of Christ as Redeemer and Creator, but I think we're we're going to instead look at how people worship Jesus in in the gospel accounts. In in the we'll just look at this in the few minutes we have left, and we'll see how it fits with all that the Bible is teaching. Now, first of all, concerning worship. We read in Exodus 20, and I'll, I'll just read this part again concerning other gods. And again, it's in the context of God being the deliverer from Egypt. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image and so forth. And then verse five, thou shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, Jehovah thy God, am a jealous God. You you are not to have any other gods, which would mean any other savior. You are not to bow down, nor worship, nor serve them. And Jesus reiterated that command when he was being tempted of the devil in um, Matthew chapter 4, the, the devil had come to him. I'll start reading in verse 8 of Matthew 4. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Satan asked Jesus to fall down and worship him. And Jesus quoted the Old Testament and that could have been from a couple of different places, Deuteronomy perhaps, or the verse in Exodus. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The command of the Bible is you do not worship anyone, anyone but God. God only is Savior. God only is deserving of worship, and God only ought to be bowed down to and worshipped and served. That's the commandments of the Bible. That That's what the Bible stipulates. And Jesus was perfect in keeping all the commandments of God and he would not permit Satan to take a single step in the direction of receiving worship. 
all know that only God, not you, you evil one, not, well, he didn't say that, not you, Satan, only God gets worship. We can see how Christ guarded that we could even say he was jealous of that particular aspect of God's commandment that God is a jealous God and and God demands that men worship him only well then we have a problem we have a problem because I didn't even jot down half of the verses that are very similar to this in Matthew 8 verse 2 and behold there came a leper and worshipped him speaking of Jesus saying Lord if thou wilt thou canst make me clean or Matthew 14 verse 33 says then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him saying of a truth thou art the son of God and that's when Christ walked on the sea he walked on the water and they worshipped him uh, in John 9 it says in verse 35 Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him he said unto him dost thou believe on the son of God he answered and said who is he Lord that I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That is, he, he was confessing Christ in the flesh. He came by God's grace to the realization, This is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the Christ. And so he worshipped him. And and what we notice is that again and again, and please look up the word worship or worshipped uh, in the concordance. You'll see there's other instances. People are healed. People see some mighty miracle like walking on water. And they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does not stop them. He does not uh, uh, say to them, now hold it, hold it. What are you doing? Bowing down and, and, and calling me Lord and worshiping me. What are you doing? Get up, get up. Um, can you imagine if someone had fallen down to Moses that way or fallen down to the prophet Isaiah or to Jeremiah? or to Ezekiel, or to any of the prophets of old. Of course, uh, none of those men were, were able to do the mighty deeds, the mighty miracles that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was performing, and, and his works testified as to who he was. So I'm sure that these people uh, felt uh, certain that they were doing nothing wrong in bowing down. This had to be that Messiah. This had to be that God that Isaiah spoke of. He was the Savior. And, and so actually when we come to John 20, we see 
just this would be blasphemous. This would be a clear violation of Exodus um, 20's command that there is to be no other God and and one is not to bow down and serve any other God. This would be sin if Jesus were not the God who who spoke in Exodus 20. If he were not Jehovah alone the Savior, then these things would would be idolatrous. In John 20, um, the Lord meets with Thomas. Uh, well, let me read from verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus had made an appearance after his resurrection, but Thomas wasn't there. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he's far from uh, proclaiming Jesus as, as Messiah. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Now here here it is, here it comes. For all those people who say that Jesus was a prophet, he was a holy one, he was a high form of angel, they'll, they'll uh, allow him any sort of honor and dignity and high position as long as it's not God. As long as it's not God. Oh no, he was, he was just a good man, a good prophet. Well, if he were, then the next words out of Jesus' mouth ought to be, Thomas, what have you done? What are you saying? Get up off your knees and, and don't you know you are not to worship or bow down nor acknowledge anyone but Jehovah as Lord and God. And then that prophet Jesus would would be in line with all the other prophets of the Bible who certainly would have said the same thing. But Jesus did not say that. Thomas, again, answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. He was plainly calling Jesus Lord and God. Lord and God. And here's Jesus' response. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Full acceptance, full reception of worship 
of the words of Thomas. Jesus stood there before him as Lord and God, as Savior, only Savior. There is no other Savior. Thomas finally understood. Thomas came to the realization of who he had been around for the past three and a half years of ministry. This man, this man was that child, the promised child, Emmanuel. This was the Son, the mighty God. He was the Word that was with God, that was God, the Word made flesh. He is God manifest in the flesh, and I ought to acknowledge him. My Lord and my God, I have nothing more to to doubt or to question or to wonder. You alone are Savior. You are Jehovah. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.